Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we are going to be in 2 Samuel 15. So if you could take a moment and turn there if you aren't there already. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know me, uh, good morning. I'm Alex. My name is Alex Valdez. Um, you might have seen me uh, occasionally. I do worship here, um, give an announcement. I'll do a liturgy. Uh, I am actually the youth director here at Generations Church. I oversee the middle school ministry, the high school ministry, and we're going, we're growing. Things are going really good and strong, and uh, I have the pleasure of teaching you guys today. So again, we're going to be in First Samuel, uh, not First Samuel, Second Samuel 15. I have a note for us today. God's will over our lives. Christians understand that God's ways are better than our ways. We are called to be faithful and obedient to him, even when it is difficult or costly to us. We as Christians, we know that God is good and, and God is creator of the universe. What he says goes. His will is higher than our will, right? And, and we often recognize this and we see this when things are going really good for us. Oh man, God, I know that it is your will that I'm up here on the stage today. I know that it's your will that I got this promotion or this car, but consider as we do our reading today how different a response is when God's doing something that we're less than thrilled about, right? So 2 Samuel 15, verse 1, it says, After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him, and Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. A little bit of context, if you were here with us last week, you saw that um, we've been going through this series of uh, kings and prophets. We're watching the rise and fall of Israel and, and God's people. And we just watched as Absalom, one of David's sons, just committed a sin against his brother and against his father, King David. And it led to him being exiled for a number of years. And last week we saw how David and Absalom slowly brought him back into Jerusalem and they slowly started reconciling and they ended uh, with what seems like complete forgiveness with a kiss. And it says, after this, so after all this, Absalom got himself a chariot, horses, 50 men. He starts building himself up, right? He goes and he gets expensive chariots and he surrounds himself with horses. He pays guys to be around him. He's got the, this entourage. He's making himself look like a big deal. He's making himself look super important, right? And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. So the gate in this time and in this day in Israel was a place where all the important people would go and they would meet. It's where all the city officials and, and all the, the priests and all the elders, they would go and they would, they would settle disputes. Anybody who had an issue or anything going on, that's where they would go and make things happen. Now, this is also a place where regular people would go and, and just hang out and settle their own smaller disputes. So it's like, it almost became like this common meeting ground. So think kind of like a, a modern day Starbucks, right? Oh, hey, um, you and I, we need to get together. Let's meet together Friday and over some coffee. Let's talk and plan some things out. But it was modern day Starbucks meets Capitol building. Like people went there every day, but it was where important people met and it was where things got done, right? Back to verse 2, and Absalom used to rise early, stand beside the way of the gate, and when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? 
And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land, that every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. So Absalom, he making himself look really big, really important, surrounding himself. He would go to the place where important people meet, and he would just start talking to people, people who he would start inserting himself into situations that had, he had no business being in, right? And he would, he would ask him, it didn't matter if it was a man, if it was a Jew, a Gentile, or a foreigner, he would just say, hey, where are you from? Oh, pff, see, you're totally right. Your claims are good and right. Man, if, if only someone was designated to hear you, if only I were king, if only I were judge in the land, man, I would, I would totally make sure that you would get justice, Right? He's going and he's making himself look important. He's putting himself in places that don't concern him. And he's doing all this to make himself look important in the eyes of the people. It's kind of like a modern-day corrupt politician, right? He would go and he would get people on his side. He would say, I'm for you, I'm for you. But he doesn't actually care about the people or their problems. Rather, he just cares about one thing, their votes. Absalom is setting himself up now to make himself look important in the eyes of the people. And we're going to see that he's doing this to undermine his father, David, the king. Verse 5, And whenever a man came, up, uh, came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So Absalom, he kisses some butt, right? That's what he's doing. He's over there. He's, he's kissing babies. He's shaking hands, and it works, right? It says Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He is stealing the hearts and the devotion of the Israelites from King David. Verse 7, and at the end of four years, so he's been doing this for four years. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Geshur and Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. So we're looking back again, and, and like I said, Absalom was exiled for a couple of years uh, due to his sin against his father and due to the sin against his brother, but he says now, this is the first we're hearing of a vow. This vow is a commitment to worship. It's the first we're hearing of his commitment to worship, right? Um, and he said he, he made this vow or he made this commitment back in Hebron. Bear in mind, he's been back in Jerusalem for four years. So it seems a little odd that we're just now hearing of this. The king, verse 9, the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But when Absalom, he sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is your king at Hebron. So the king, David, releases him, thinking that he's going to go out and worship God. But we know that that's not, that's not it at all. As a matter of fact, Absalom has different intentions. Absalom is going to go there with a plot to claim himself as king, right? Here's a note for the screen. Hiding behind faith. 
Absalom has a faith of convenience, using his faith to look religious while hiding his true intentions. How might we be guilty of this in the church today? I mean, how could this be us? How, can, how do we do this? Do we come to church, you know, just playing the role, looking the part, when in reality our hearts couldn't be further from this place? So a little, little bit of background for myself. Um, I grew up seeing this. I saw people in my life who, who professed to be loving Christians and worshiped God. They were transformed by Jesus. They were living sacrifices, yet Monday through Saturday, they were out. They were abusing alcohol, abusing drugs, abusing people. And I fell on this to myself. I started to see and, and recognize in myself, I would come to church to look and play the part. I would sing these songs, but I, I had already planned and committing some sins later that day. I knew what I was just coming back and, 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 and getting into, right? I realized I was coming to church not to glorify God, but to glorify myself. And we see that Absalom is doing this exact thing. He is going, pretending like he's going to glorify God, when in reality he has a plot. And that plot is to glorify himself. That plot is to make himself king. Verse 11, with Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. It's important to note here, the people, they, they didn't know what was going on. The people were innocent. Absalom, bad guy. Absalom, bad motives. Absalom, he's got this plot. It's a conspiracy growing on. But the people, they didn't know. The people were innocent. David for sure doesn't know. Verse 12, and while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from the silly Gilo, and the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. The conspiracy grew strong. We see that, man, Absalom, he's, he's gaining traction. More and more people are following him. He's now even got this counselor of David, this person who David trusted. He's now involved in, in a part of the conspiracy, right? And let's do a little bit of a, of a, of a numbers check. Absalom here, he's, he's growing. He's got 200 people or more, and he, he's even got a counselor of David's. But let's look at David. David, he's king of Israel. David commands thousands, tens of thousands. He's got all of Israel in his command. On top of that, David has all the experience and all the resources to be able to take care of this like nothing, right? So what do you think David's response is going to be when he hears that his son is going around claiming to be king? He was, David was taking people out before he was even king, running around, kicking butt, taking names. But bear in mind, this is his son, right? This is his son. This is happening from within his own home. This isn't just anybody, just some random person coming in and claiming to be king. This is his son. How will David respond? Verse 13, And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly. 
and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. That's David's response. David's response is selfless. It's a humble response. Here we are, David, who is king, who is rightfully king. He was made king by God. And all of a sudden, his son is going up and, and claiming to be king. And instead of his first instinct being, I got to fight for, for my right, I got to fight for my title. Instead, his response is, oh, we got to get out of here. We got to go. Let us flee, lest Absalom comes and strikes the city with the sword. See, David knows and recognizes that this is God's people. Yeah, sure, David could fight. David could fight for his right to be king. And whether David wins or Absalom wins, doesn't matter. God's people lose because God's people are the ones whose lives are in danger here. And so instead of putting God's people in danger, David says, let's go, let's flee. Here's a note for the screen. Putting others first. David puts the safety of others before himself, including his right to be king. Christians are called to put others first, even at their own cost. David is willing to lay down his kingship for God's people. Does that remind you of anybody? What a beautiful image of Jesus to come. Jesus, who is king. Jesus, who's on his throne. He puts value in us, and he puts us first. So much so that he steps down from his throne. He puts on flesh. He goes through, he learns and, and he, he, go, he suffers and he takes on pain for us. And he goes and he goes to the cross, putting us first. He didn't have to do any of that. He was king, but he did that for us. He did that for you and me. And to follow Jesus isn't just to accept that he suffered for us. It isn't just to accept that he put us first, but it's also to take on that role, to take on that responsibility. Jesus died for me, so I should be able to die for others. I should put other people first. In verse 15, And the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left 10 concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him. And they halted at the last house. We see that the people, they trust David. They love David, right? And they, so much so that they say, do whatever. Man, whatever you decide to do, we're with you. We will follow you. Verse 18, And all the servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Paleothites, and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back, stay with the king, for you were a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday. And shall I today make you wander about with us, since I go I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. David, we see he's continuing to put others first. 
even foreigners. He's now caring, he's now caring not only for the Israelites and not only for God's people, but for people outside of that. He is caring for the Gittites and all, just all these other foreign nations, right? And he's not only just sending them back, but he's sending them back with a blessing, like God be with you. God protect you guys. Go. Verse 21, but Ittai answered the king, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. And David said to Ittai, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. What an answer. David's being selfless in this moment. He's just being completely selfish. He's caring for others, and he's showing that through his actions. Truly by his character, David is selfless. Contrast that with Absalom, who we heard at the very beginning, who was just pretending to care for the people, who was just pretending to care for their problems. Absalom wasn't actually caring for them. He just cared for himself. He had a he had an, a plan, a plot to make himself king. But here, David, in his kingship, is surrendering that and letting others go first. He is going to sacrifice and making sure that they pass on safely before even himself, right? And we see the response of the people. We see that Ittai and the Gittites, they say, no, whatever happens, we trust you. We're going to follow you, even if that means death. We're with you. Verse 23. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king crossed the book Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. Toward the wilderness. That seems to be a common theme for David, doesn't it? If you're just following along, uh, we, we watched David as he was risen to be king by God. And the king at the time wasn't happy about it. His name was Saul. And he would pursue after David. And he would chase after David, try to kill him. And each time, David was placed in these areas where he had to trust God. And he, each time, he found himself back in the wilderness, back in the wilderness. Here's a note. Back in the wilderness. Once again, David must place his trust in God, and once again, he is drawn back to the wilderness. Where in our lives do we find God drawing us back to a place where we must trust him? Where is that place for us? Where we find that, man, it just seems to come back over and over and over again. God places us in this area, in this situation. It could be a relationship. It could be a family thing. It could be a home. It could be a job. But it's, man, God, you just bring me back in this area, this season in my life where I just, I, I can't do anything. I have to trust you. That's the wilderness for David. You see, Jesus even had this place. Jesus had this place where he would continuously go back to God, and that place was the garden. He would go to the garden to pray. And we see that in his last in his last week of his life, the last week of his ministry, as he's going towards the cross, he goes up to Mount Olives, a mountain where God was worshipped. He goes to Mount Olives and he prays. And he, he tells the disciples, man, stay up with me. Would you pray with me? And the disciples, they, 
They fall asleep. But that doesn't stop Jesus. He gets down on his hands and knees and he prays. And he prays so hard, blood drips down from his face. And he prays this in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He says, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus comes to this place. This is his life. This is what he's come here to do. He's going to the cross, and he's just so, he knows the pain that he's about to go through, and he has this moment. He has this moment where he prays to God, Father, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, if there's any other way besides the cross, reveal it. But then he ends it with this. He says, but not my will but your will be done. Jesus submits to God knowing that, man, I don't necessarily want to do this in this moment, but I'm going to. I'm going to do the hard thing. David, he understands this. He sees this. And he trusts God. He trusts God with his life, knowing that it's God's will that's going to be done. There's no sense of fighting it. David knows that either one, two things are going to happen. Either A, he's setting Absalom up to be king. So instead of fighting that, instead of gripping onto that, instead of fighting for that role, he's just going to get out the way. Or he knows and recognizes that God is with David and God's going to restore the kingship back to him. David, in this moment, he's living with his hands wide open. He's trusting in God who gave him that kingship. Who can take it away? Here's a note for the screen. Living with hands wide open. David lives with his hands wide open, trusting in God who gives and takes away. Are we willing to live with our hands wide open? Are we willing to live knowing that even the blessings that God's given us, God can take them back. And trusting that God's will is over our will and that he's good. Are we willing to submit that? One last final note. Trusting God with our lives. David trusts God with his life. Do we trust God with all of our lives? Even in the things that he's given us. What's that part, what's that thing in our life that we're just not willing to let go yet? Are we willing to trust him with that? Because David does. That's the kingship for him. And he doesn't hesitate. He said, God, here you go. What is that in our lives? What is that area that we can surrender and trust him with it? Even when it's not easy even when it makes no sense. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You have always been good. You will never be anything else other than good. And we see through your servant David that he understands that you are God and he's willing to give it all to you. And we see and we're reminded by your son Jesus that even in those hard times, it's your will over our own. May we trust you. 
May we surrender our lives to you completely. May we not pretend. May we not come here wearing a mask, Father. Would you take that away and may we just trust you with all of our lives, not just most of it, but with all of our lives. Help us to live with hands wide open just as your son David did, just as David did, and just as Jesus did, Lord God. We recognize you as God and that your will will be done. Help us to submit to that even when it's hard, even when it makes no sense. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.